Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Um, And today we have a show for you that is about uh, corruption and how corruption in the Trump administration is, um, I mean, pretty regularly badly serving Americans writ large. um, But in this case, specifically, um, how this is making life harder for student loan borrowers and will continue to make life harder for student loan borrowers um, as these Trump administration appointees uh, continue their power grabs. Yeah, and I think uh, part of what's so difficult sometimes uh, as, as we talk about what's going on in corruption in the Trump administration and the, just the numerous ways in which the, the administration seems to be intentionally hurting people is that it's tough to keep up. I mean, uh, this is a timely conversation about the uh, uh, the corruption within the administration and how it's impacting student loan borrowers, and yet it, it, it we have more news out today uh, where the administration is seeking to keep uh, children, young children, in their families uh, detained indefinitely by replacing the the uh, guidelines set forth in the Flores settlement back in 1997. Uh, and so, knowing the uh, just the travesty and the torture that's taking place right now in detention camps. Uh, uh, being imposed on the literally quite quite literally torture of young children, and now knowing that they're trying to do that indefinitely, um, you know, uh, is 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 also something that's happening today, uh, and deserves to be mentioned at the top of the show. But uh, again, talking about something else that's incredibly timely uh, and harmful as we talk about the uh, corruption related to student loan uh, borrowers and and the steps the Trump administration is intentionally taking, I would say, to uh, to hurt student loan borrowers. Yeah, and I would say um, this is this is fairly insidious because I think the administration is counting on people not paying attention and counting on a lot of this being feeling kind of wonky. You know, uh, it's uh, it's sort of behind the scenes, um, secret creepy emails and uh, bureaus and departments that um, people maybe are not paying as much attention to right now because there is so much um, 
you know, metaphorically on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like if you overload the population enough, something will sneak by. Yeah. So last week, Politico announced that it had obtained over 2,000 pages of email is, emails outlining the efforts of student loan industry lobbying groups to persuade the Trump administration to block states from regulating student loan companies. So, like, just let that sink in. This administration that is all that purportedly all about states' rights um, is trying to stop states from uh, putting better protections in for their student loan borrowers at the state level. So one email in particular stood out, a personal email from the CEO of Navient, Jack Ramondi, to a top aide in uh, education secretary, Betsy DeVos, Betsy DeVos's inbox in September 2017, in which he asked the administration in urgent language to assert that states don't have the authority to regulate federal student loan, uh, student loan collection companies. So joining us now on the phone, we have um, Suzanne Martindale from Consumers Union. Uh, Suzanne is the senior policy counsel and Western States legislative manager, um, and she's been working on uh, implementing one of those borrowers' bills of rights in the state of California. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Happy to be here. Um, And I know that you're uh, in the process of doing a a Hill Day today um, talking to California state legislators, so we're particularly grateful to have you here to talk about this issue. Um, So, Suzanne, can you... could be more timely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, precisely. So, Suzanne, um, to start, can you share a little bit more about your background um, in this area and the work that you uh, have been doing, both with your organization um, and uh, for borrowers in the state of California and sort of um, how this is a little bit of a microcosm of something that's happening elsewhere in the country? Sure. So in my role, uh, you know, I am I'm a policy lawyer and an advocate. Uh, I'm also a registered lobbyist in the state of California, and I represent, um, you know, a consumer union, also known as Consumer Reports. And people know about the magazine. We're a nationwide nonprofit that's been doing research and testing and advocacy for over 80 years and a range of different um Different areas, uh, but a newer area that, of course, you know, by by necessity, we've had to address uh, since the financial crisis is the rapid growth, uh, the runaway growth of student debt and people's inability to effectively manage their loans. Um, you know, I think there's an important discussion that we're having right now about college affordability going forward, but it's also very important that we remember the, the 44 million people and counting um, who already have student loans and are struggling to repay them. Uh, so, you know, we have worked uh, at the, both the federal and state level to try to shore up protections for borrowers. I've served on committees at the Department of Education under the previous administration where we tried to expand access to flexible options. For example, I worked on the revised pay-as-you-earn plan that ensures that anyone uh, with a direct federal loan, regardless of when they borrowed, can cap their monthly payments at 10 percent of their discretionary income. It's a very important right that people should know that they have uh, and have worked on you know, whenever possible uh, to expand protections for borrowers at the federal level. But in the current environment, as you've already begun to discuss, um, we've had to pivot back to the states uh, and, and look to the states that have you know, had a, you know, a centuries-long traditional role in protecting their residents uh, to see if we can strengthen consumer protections at the state level to address borrowers who are trying to manage their loans. Uh, I, I think that's amazing, and I, I know that this these um, this borrower's bill of rights, this um, sort of student loan servicing um, licensing that you've been working on, is something that uh, exists in um, or is being implemented in a couple of other. It's a, attempted to be implemented in a couple of other states, which seems like it's maybe really scaring uh, the student loan servicers, um, these companies that are supposed to be helping borrowers repay their loans um, if they're sending emails to the Department of Education about it. What are they so afraid of here? <laughs> 
you know, I think I think that you know, whenever it looks like uh, some accountability is coming, people start to run for the hills. But you know, let's remember that you know, not too long ago, we saw the same kinds of problems happening in the 2000s with credit cards and mortgages, where whether it was the you know the credit card issuer or the mortgage servicing company, you know, was simply not uh, you know acting in a consistent and competent manner to assist the consumer who is struggling to repay the financial obligation. Um, you know, after the mortgage crisis um, and, and the, the 2008 uh, financial crisis, uh, you know, we saw so many unnecessary foreclosures that led to California and states around the nation and ultimately the federal government setting in some servicing standards to make sure that these third-party companies that are handling your loans are communicating with you, providing you accurate information, and giving you a fair chance to uh, stay out of trouble, stay out of default. Um, so, you know, that was an important thing that we did for mortgages, and now we're seeing that we need to do the same thing here for student loan borrowers. These companies, you know, uh, particularly the federal loan services that are in contract with the Department of Education, uh, you know, th there should be, you know, some oversight that the Department of Education is doing. I mean, you, you would think they would want to make sure that they're spending their money wisely if they're going to pay these companies millions of dollars to service people's loans, but unfortunately, well, a million people a year are defaulting on their loans, and so you have to wonder, uh, you know, why are we still paying these companies to do this job if they're not going to actually service the loans? Uh, so we're really calling that question at the state level. And so many states around the country have looked to do uh, to create laws that would license these companies, just like you would license any other company. Lenders and, you know, for example, mortgage services also have to be licensed at the state level. So this is nothing, not a new idea. We're just applying it to the student loan market. Uh, and so about a dozen states have either passed or considered legislation to at least license servicers to tell them, generally speaking, don't be unfair or deceptive, for example. But what we're trying to do here in California is to take this to the next step and to create a substantive consumer protection framework that will help borrowers enforce minimum industry standards against these servicers to say, here's the consistent and accurate information that you need, the kind of service you need to provide to people. And if you don't provide that service, then there will be enforcement, whether the state attorney general brings a case or whether there's a private right of action for the consumer. We need to make sure that there are actual enforceable legal rights that people can assert because we just don't have that um, with Betsy DeVos at the helm of the Department of Education. Yeah. And I really want to break down something that you said pretty quickly there just to sort of reiterate. So the federal government, the Department of Education, is paying these companies, um, Navient, formerly Sally May, uh, Nelnet, uh, FIA, these sorts, these companies that student loan borrowers, you should be familiar with these names. You see them in your inbox when they come to um, kind of uh, collect the bills. What they're supposed to be doing is they're supposed to be customer service agents, is what you're saying, and they are just not doing their jobs, but they're still getting a cut out of that, despite the fact that they're not doing their jobs. Yeah, the only you know, the contracts uh, do are purport to provide financial incentives. And what that means is, you know, the servicer gets paid more per account that is current as opposed to, say, delinquent or in default. So the further behind a borrower is on payments, the servicer gets paid fewer dollars per account. But that has clearly not been enough to incentivize mm -hmm. actual uh, good service. Uh, because, you know, what is the what is the problem for the servicer if the person falls behind? Well, they're still getting paid some pennies on that account. And then if the loan actually defaults, they're they have to transfer it to a debt collection agency anyway, and so they're going to get paid, right? I mean, then they have millions of accounts, um, and, and, you know, that that is a big part of the problem. I mean, look at some of these lawsuits that state attorneys general, including the California attorney general, have filed against uh, Navient uh, and other uh, loan servicing companies. They've found that in many cases, the servicers not only are not actively working to get 
the borrower into a, a plan or a rent fan option that best meets their needs, but in some cases they're in fact steering people into options that are going to make them owe mm-hmm. more money. The the classic example here is that, you know, in order to get you off the phone quickly, you know, if you're a borrower calling saying you're struggling to make your monthly payments, the best practice would be to say, Hey, you're a federal loan borrower. There are various repayment plans that cap what you have to pay every month based on a percentage of your income. They're designed to be affordable. The problem is that takes several more minutes to walk someone through on the phone to help yeah, them and there's just how to enroll in a plan. It's much easier. No to say, incentive hey, for the we'll companies you, to be we'll doing that right now. Uh, we'll give you a forbearance that will simply, you know, put a pause on your payments for a few months, but that will actually let interest accrue on your loans. It'll make everything more expensive, and it doesn't actually fix your problem. Yeah. So we're talking right now to Suzanne Martindale. She's based in California. She works for Consumers Union and Consumer Reports, and we're talking about the corruption in uh, the current Department of Education under Secretary Betsy DeVos. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. co-host Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we are um, talking today about the corruption within the Betsy DeVos Department of Education, uh, par for the course with the Donald Trump administration. And we're talking specifically about student loan borrowers. Uh, We're on the line with Suzanne Martindale from uh, uh, Consumer Reports and Consumer Union. Thanks so much for coming back with us, Suzanne. Sure. Thank you. So I uh, I want to you know I really appreciate all the context from this from this first part of the show where we were talking about the work that that you and others have been doing at the state um, level to protect student loan borrowers. Uh, it sounds funny, but almost like protect them from the student loan servicers. Uh, but want to want to circle back to this recent news that came out, um, specifically the fact that uh, CEOs of some of the largest student loan servicers were emailing directly with political appointees in the Department of Education urging them to take action and declare that the states don't have a place here. Uh, and soon thereafter, a, a, I don't know, it's not a rule, but soon thereafter, a decision was made by the Department of Education stating as such. What, what do you make of this? What are the implications here uh, for, every, for student loan borrowers? Is, is, there, is there enforcement to this decision? Well, it is it is pretty brazen, isn't it, <laughs> to see this level of uh, coordination between uh, you know the federal regulator of you know of the financial aid programs and the servicing companies that you know are in contract with them to provide a certain. Uh, ostensibly to provide a service to borrowers, uh, and it indicates that they believe that they have a friend in Betsy DeVos who will shield them from any legal accountability. Uh, you know, this this notice of interpretation that the Education Department published in March of last year is very unusual. It's not a rule. It's not a proposed rule. It's not a request for information of the typical kinds of things you expect to see in the Federal Register. It was basically a, a some an informal policy statement uh, suggesting uh, that, uh, that states cannot do anything uh, to uh, regulate or, or enforce consumer protection laws against student loan services on the grounds of the Higher Education Act, the, the federal law that creates financial aid programs, somehow totally preempts um, all state activity. And that is simply not the case. Uh, if, you, if you dig into the notice a little bit and see some of the cases they cite, you know, they cite things like military contracting where, you know, you would typically expect that, you know, federal law is going to you know, preempt the field. There's a, there's a strong federal interest in there being, you know, uniformity in how um, defense contracts 
are undertaken, and you wouldn't typically expect a you know, state law to be intervening there. But it's never been the case uh, that courts have read the Higher Education Act to somehow preempt any state activity. And in fact, there are many places where state law is, in fact, referenced in the Higher Education Act, where applicable state law is contemplated as going to apply somewhere um, you know, to, to the higher education community. So it's simply not the case. Uh, it has not been the case that, that, that courts have read the Higher Education Act to somehow block states from, from taking action here. So this is very, very brazen. Um, but one thing to note, uh, is that the, the you know a few courts have been asked to look at this notice and they have not really given it any weight. They've said you know this isn't a final agency action. It's sort of an informal statement. It doesn't really it doesn't really bear any weight. And it's not something that we really believe we need to take into much consideration when we're deciding whether a particular state lawsuit or state law is appropriate um, in our federalist system that has both state and federal um, aspects to it. Yeah, I mean, from my understanding, the state law is um, a, a floor, or I mean, this is a floor, not a ceiling type of situation, right? Like, uh, the, or sorry, federal law is a floor, and then the state law is able to build on that in all sorts of other financial aspects, additional protections for consumers and borrowers in their states. Yeah, you know, it's going to depend on the federal law, but as a general rule, you know, federal law, you know, reigns supreme and so forth. But courts typically say we're not going to assume that Congress means for federal law to preempt state activities because you know states are also their little they're also little sovereign uh, units as well and, and, and especially in the area of consumer protection um, across different issue areas it's long been um, the case that states have, have had a traditional role in, in, in passing consumer protection laws and enforcing laws that ensure that businesses aren't cheating people uh, that's the, that's the basic idea here and so and, and in higher ed it's, it's no different so you know there may be some instances where a particular state law depending on how it's crafted you know could if it, if it truly conflicts Licks with uh, a federal, you know, a federal law, uh, where you know, a, for example, a business cannot simply cannot comply with both, or it seems that a state law is truly interfering with what Congress intended when they passed um, a, a federal law. Then maybe you would have an issue there. Uh, but but the pure uh, concept of uh, establishing some basic requirements, uh, you know, some state oversight over these private companies, private, you know, these are these are large corporations. Uh, you know, th- th- really, it, it would not be a fair reading of the. High Education Act uh, to suggest that that states really can't do anything here. They can do something here, and they should do something here, particularly while the feds do not seem interested in cleaning up the student loan uh, repayment system. So, Suzanne, we've got just about a minute left here, and I wanted to make sure that folks are able to figure out, A, where they can get more involved um, if they want to join this fight, um, but B, where they can find more information about you and the work that you're doing. Sure. You know, there are there is an, uh, a community of advocates uh, that are doing what we can to try to provide, uh, you know, resources to borrowers. Uh, you know, uh, the legislation that we are working on here in California, Assembly Bill 376, the Student Borrower Bill of Rights, uh, is something that we are working on right now. It's in the Senate and we'll be uh, we're hoping to get it onto the governor's desk here shortly. Uh, so if you want to go to CaliforniaBorrowers.org, we have a campaign website with more information about that, including contact information for the various groups that are working on this bill. It is certainly a team effort. Um, I know you'll be speaking shortly with my colleagues at the Student Borrower Protection Center on this show. They are a co-sponsor of the bill along with our organization with Student Debt Crisis and the Young Invincibles. Um, we are also working with labor groups like the American Federation of Teachers. And many of these organizations do provide free webinars and sometimes these student debt clinics. 
We've been talking to Suzanne Martindale. She's the Senior Policy Counsel and Western State Legislative Manager at Consumer Reports. Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne. We will be right back talking about corruption in the Trump administration. Generation Progress Takeover. I'm your co-host, Brente Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And we're here on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, and glad to welcome Mike Pierce, the Policy Director and Managing Counsel at the Student Borrower Protection Center. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we, we've been talking a little bit around uh, sort of corruption in the Department of Education under Betsy DeVos uh, and the, the implications for student loan borrowers. And I think, uh, you know, one of the most just blatant examples out there possibly happened just this uh, the past few days where the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has tapped a former student loan servicing executive. So basically one of the people responsible, one of those student loan servicers we were just talking about, uh, to oversee the student loan industry as the student loan ombudsman. Revolving door. <laughs> it, this is like the worst of the revolving door, <laughs> right? It's like a revolving door with uh, shredded glass. So uh, Robert Cameron was uh, previously a top official at the Pennsylvania Higher Education Assistance Agency. Uh, what do you make of this? Now he's supposed to be the student loan ombudsman. Well, I, I had the, the pleasure of serving under the first two people to hold that role. Uh, I was at the CFPB in the very early days of the agency, and I worked for uh, Rohit Chopra, who was the first student loan ombudsman, and Seth Brotman, who resigned with some fanfare about a year ago. And I have to say, we, we got up every morning thinking about how we could make life better for student loan borrowers. And frankly, I just don't have confidence that that Mr. That Colonel Cameron has the same orientation, to, to put it kindly. Uh, it's not just that he comes from the student loan industry, but he comes from FIA. And, and this company might not be one that, that listeners are familiar with, but you probably do know Fed Loan Servicing, which is the company that's been screwing up the public service loan forgiveness program, the company that saddled thousands of teachers with uh, surprise student loans when they botched the teach grant program, um, the company that's been at the center of litigation around National Collegiate Student Loan Trust, basically every scandal in the student loan market for the past 10 years, uh, Colonel Cameron's former employer has been at the center of. Wow, that's promising. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, if we could also just back up for like a quick second here, I think it's really important to sort of like recognize that we're not villainizing um, the Department of Education here. We're villainizing Betsy DeVos's Department of Education, and we're not villainizing the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau here. We are villainizing a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau that's being run by uh, like you know foxes guarding the hen house. Was being being uh, now run by appointees from the Trump administration um, who have huge conflicts of interest and don't actually have the best interests of the people they're supposed to be protecting um, here sort of uh, as their as their priorities. Can we talk a little bit about what the original uh, goals of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau are for people who might not have heard of the CFPB before? Sure. Uh, so CFPB was created in the, in the ashes of the financial crisis to create a, a federal agency for the first time whose sole mission was to stand up for consumers, for people with mortgages, for people facing debt collectors, uh, people with student loans. Uh, prior to the, the creation of the Bureau, 
there were a lot of, of rules and laws uh, at the federal level that gave people rights to uh, not be abused when the debt collector calls them or to have a mortgage that they could afford or to not be a victim of discrimination. But enforcing all of those rights was spread around a bunch of different federal agencies. And frankly, it just didn't work for people. And so one of the reasons that millions of Americans lost their homes to foreclosure a decade ago was because all these laws and rules that were supposed to protect people weren't being enforced. Uh, so Senator Elizabeth Warren came up with this idea to create a federal agency that could do the enforcing, that could stand up for borrowers and do nothing but standing up for borrowers. And uh, Congress created it as part of the Dodd-Frank Act back in 2010. And for the first seven years, CFPB really cued to that mission. Um, we came to work every day trying to figure out how to make people's lives better. And I think there's an expression in this town that personnel is policy. Mm-hmm. And you really see that both in the in the early CFPB, where some of the brightest minds from consumer protection and law enforcement and academia and research all came to Washington to help build this agency. And what you see in the Trump administration is uh, – all of the executives that get rich off of the student loan system and off of the financial system coming to Washington to run this agency that purports to protect consumers. Yeah. You know, I, uh, like you, I, I worked at a federal agency uh, under the previous administration. I was at the Department of Justice uh, under the leadership first of Eric Holder and then uh, under the leadership of Loretta Lynch. And it was a much different place, and the Department of Justice served a much different role at that time. It was a, it was a place I woke up and and thought about how we use the the power of government to make people's lives better. Uh, and it's just uh, appalling to me that I think we're at a place now where people wake up and think, how do I make my life better and make other people's worse? Um, and so, you know, I, 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 thinking about sort of what the CFPB looked like uh, when you were there, and you referenced before you mentioned um, Seth Frotman, who previously served as the, uh, as the second um, uh, student loan ombudsman, who you now work with at a continue to work with the Student Borrower Protection Center. Um, you know, Seth said uh, recently in regards to the new pick for the ombudsman position, uh, it's outrageous that an executive from the student loan company that has cheated students and taxpayers and is at the center of every major industry scandal over the past decade is now in charge of protecting borrowers' rights. Mike, can you just provide a bit more te- context here on, on what the student loan ombudsman role looks like? Sure. Um, and, and maybe it's helpful to talk about what it looked like when uh, Elizabeth Warren ran the agency and when Director Cordray, Richard Cordray, ran the agency and what um, the new CFPB director, what Kathy Craninger, thinks this person is going to do. Um, yeah. So Senator Warren recognized really early on, um, back when she was the boss, that this person that, that Congress created, this official designed to take complaints from consumers and listen to their problems and make recommendations to lawmakers about how to fix the system, that this person should be at the center of the agency's work on student finance. It's the official that's the the closest to borrowers. It's the person that has the the responsibility of listening to people's problems. Um, And you make better public policy by giving that person a broad mandate, telling them to help borrowers with private student loans and with federal student loans, um, and letting them really be a leader within the agency to drive policy across the the agency and across the federal government. Um, And for most of the CFPB's history, that's how it worked. The official that was in that position was the agency's leader on student loans, and that didn't matter whether a borrower had a private student loan made by Wells Fargo or a federal student loan made by the U.S. Department of Education. What we're seeing now is something that's totally different. So um, 
Mick Mulvaney, who was the caretaker who, who, who took over the CFPB for a little while when Trump came in, um, and Kathy Craninger, who now runs the agency, both have this idea that you can uh, smother some of the light out of the agency by looking at the law that creates it, following that law um, in the narrowest way possible, and doing it so that it actually really jams the gears of the agency, so it makes it much harder for it to carry out its mission. Um, and you're seeing that played out right now with disappointment. Um, this person is now being tasked with helping only borrowers with private student loans, and it's not even clear that he's going to be doing that. Um, and by taking away uh, the duties of, of helping borrowers with federal student loans by saying that's actually the education department's problem, um, the CFPB is no longer following the law, and they're doing that both by, by making the, the position of the student loan ombudsman something much smaller, and what you don't see, what's going on behind the scenes, is they've also stopped doing all of the regular oversight over these big student loan companies that work for the federal government. Companies like Navient and companies like uh, Colonel Cameron's old employer, Fed Loan Servicing or FIA. So I don't want to be overly speculative, but I'd kind of like to like to zoom out a little bit here. We talked about revolving doors. I know the Department of Education has hired uh, former for-profit college officials. Um, it's, it just it seems like this is a trend um, in you know I mean it's a trend across this administration, but it seems like this is a particular trend that's going to end up seriously harming student loan borrowers and uh, and this space. Um, there are several examples of of um, not so great fits uh, um, or people with conflicts of interest being put into positions of power um, in the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Department of Education. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that trend? Sure. I think you're completely right, Charlotte. That that's, we've seen the revolving door spin really fast and really hard in this administration. Um, and I think maybe something that didn't get as much coverage is that now we're in year three of the Trump administration, and the door's starting to spin the other way. You're also starting to see the career industry executives that came in to make trouble in the early days of the Trump administration leave and go get soft, cushy jobs back at their former employers. So I want to highlight um, Kathleen Smith, who was uh, an assistant secretary at the Department of Education. She was actually the woman responsible for all of the monkey business involving preemption that Suzanne Martindale talked about in the first segment. Um, she's now back at Fed Loan Servicing, at FIA, at Colonel Cameron's former employer. Um, she just took a job being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to lobby the federal government, to lobby her old employer on behalf of this big financial services firm. So um, I think when we think about corruption, you're right. The fox guarding the head house is a huge problem. Uh, people like Colonel Cameron regulating the industries they used to work for is a huge problem. But we also need to watch out for the, the really obvious corruption that's happening on the other side. You know, I'm old enough to remember during the campaign when he talked about draining the swamp. <laughs> Seems like it was one of those broken promises. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, this is this is just egregious, Mike. Um, and and as Charlotte has said, it's 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 sort of par for the course with this administration. Um, and you know, one of the one of the things about student loan debt and student loan borrowers is we know. Uh, one in three young adults has a student loan. We know that one in one in six adults over the age of 18 have a student loan. We're talking about 43, 44, 
45? Uh, I think it's 44 million. And I think this is only federal student loans that we're talking about. There's even more student loan debt that's not totally accounted for when it when you think about like people who've had to take out second mortgages on their house to, or like people who put their uh, textbooks on their credit cards. And there was a reason CFPB was created. There was a need here that the that this position, that the ombudsman position, uh, ombudsperson, and that the, the agency itself was created for. Um, you know, when you think about personal stories, are there any examples that you can share of, of folks who have been um, really impacted by the recent lack of leadership at CFPB or their lack of concern for student loan borrowers? Um, absolutely. And one of the things that we did when we were building the CFPB was create this fantastic function where individual borrowers could submit a complaint to the agency, and the agency would make sure that it went to their financial services company, whether that was a debt collector or a big bank or a student loan servicer and that borrowers got a response back. And, and that's not always the same thing as getting the answer they want to hear, but when red tape and runarounds are really making it impossible for people to get adequate customer service, just getting an answer is pretty good. Um, well, those answers have really stopped coming for borrowers with federal student loans. Um, we hear it all the time from um, legal aid attorneys and other advocates that work with individual borrowers especially. Um, you used to be able to submit a complaint against Navia and say, I want a copy of my student loan contract, or I want a copy of my payment history because I think you've screwed up my public service loan forgiveness. And companies were scared of CFPB, I think, for all the right reasons. They knew that somebody had borrowers' backs and was watching them to make sure they followed the law. And so they would respond. They'd get documents back to borrowers. Um, they would answer borrowers' questions. And to be honest, that's just not happening the way that it used to. Um, responses are slower. They have less information. It's harder and harder for borrowers to get answers, and in many cases, they're just told to go talk to the Department of Education. Uh, and, and I think, as we all know, there's really not a lot of help to be had in Secretary DeVos's Education Department. I'm trying to think of a parallel here that would that would make sense for folks in terms of how egregious it is to take an executive from FIA and put them in charge of, or at least put them in this position of the, the student loan ombudsperson. I'm thinking about like big tobacco and, and taking someone from Philip Morris and saying you are now the person who is going to sort of have this 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 role in, in overseeing or weighing in on on behalf of individuals related to big big tobacco. People who have been harmed by by tobacco companies. Is there I think that's a that's a great analogy and, and you're seeing that all across the Trump administration. You have oil executives running the interior department, you have um, polluters running the EPA. I think that's exactly right. If, if there's an opportunity for an industry to influence public policy, um, I, it's not clear that there isn't an open seat for them anywhere in the Trump administration. Um, you were also, Mike, just talking a little bit about uh, servicers who have screwed up um, the payments for the borrowers they're supposed to be managing. That happened to you, right, Brent? Like, that happened to you. They didn't actually have an accurate accounting of uh, all your student loan payments that were supposed to go towards public service loan forgiveness, and you had a runaround. Yeah, it's happened to me twice. Yeah. It's and you were supposed to be able to go to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and ask for help, but... <laughs> but alas, the CFPB has turned its back on me. You know, fortunately, I was able to get that situation resolved, but... I, I have access that, that probably others don't um, and and was really fortunate to be able to get there. But I should have been able to go to the, the student loan ombudsperson and, and ask for this help and have that process facilitated for me, doing the making my payments on time, making my payments uh, on a payment plan that is accepted, sort of having already jumped through and over the hurdles and barricades that have been set up uh, in many ways is a complex situation. 
and and having already done all that still to find out that they weren't counting my payments correctly and having to literally go back through nearly 10 years of bank statements and highlight specific payments that came out of an account that one of which I don't even have anymore the fact that I was able to do that is great. The fact that I needed to do that is awful. The fact that there's nobody in CFPB or anywhere else in government to help with that is even worse. So we're talking to Mike Pierce, the policy director and managing counsel at the Student Borrower Protection Center. Um, Mike, if folks want to get involved or get a little bit more information, um, where can they find uh, you online and your organization online support the work that you're doing? Um, You can learn more about the work that we're doing. Uh, And our organization was founded by a team of attorneys and experts that left CFPB to try to keep doing this work in the nonprofit sector because our agency just wasn't doing its job anymore. Um, And you can learn more about the work that we're doing at protectborrowers.org. And we also are working in state capitals across the country to try to create new rights for student loan borrowers to help state attorneys general and state legislators stand up where Washington has fallen down. And you can learn more about our work in California in particular at CaliforniaBorrowers.org, which is the same website that uh, my colleague Suzanne mentioned at the top of the, at the, top of the hour. That's um, great. So ProtectBorrowers.org, CaliforniaBorrowers.org, learn about the work that we're doing, figure out how to get involved. Amazing. Um, well, thank you very much for your time, uh, for your time, Mike. Um, again, we've been talking to Mike Pierce, the policy director and managing counsel at the Student Borrower Protection Center, a crew of folks who left the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau under the Trump administration to try to keep doing uh, its mission-oriented, uh, mandated work. So thank you so much for the work that you've been doing, Mike. We really appreciate it. Um, so you've been listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. And we're going to be right back in just a few minutes with the news. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I'm your I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And we now have Bob Nay, reporter with Talk Media News, joining us on the line. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Charlotte. So, Bob, um... We have some confusing news today uh, from President Trump. He is claiming that Mitch McConnell supports background checks for guns. Can you talk through what's happening there and why that is, um, why that's news? Well, it would be big news because Mitch McConnell is probably not supporting it. (laughs) We've we've heard everything. I mean, the president went as a candidate to uh, not being sure where he was at on the NRA uh, position. Then as president, he was sure. And then after the two tragedies, he said yes about you know background checks. Mitch McConnell was receptive to it, which McConnell isn't. Now the president has actually reversed and downplayed himself on the issue him, himself on gun registration law changes, and he's saying, well, we need to look at mental health uh, issues. Yeah, because McConnell has never publicly su- expressed no. his support for background checks. No, and, and I, I highly doubt McConnell will have some type of epiphany on that subject. Yeah. Um, well, shame. Um, so it looks like here we also have um, more information about uh, what's going to happen with the Trump rule that would indefinitely detain migrant kids with their parents, the Flores rule. Some some bad news coming out around that today. 
Yes, you know, the Flores rule goes way back to the 80s of a girl held in Pasadena. It's a long story, but it was not good. They were not good conditions at all. Uh, it went through 12 years of court cases, went through the Supreme Court, various court systems, and then it ended up with a settlement. And so, you know, that settlement's been lived by. You can't hold over 20 days. President Trump's attempting to change all of that to reverse it. We also have some news coming out about uh, leaders in the Jewish community who are angry at Trump's comments. Yes, they're very angry. If he had made comments, what he thought about whether you should vote Democratic or Republican, it would be one thing. But when he added the word, you know, questioning the loyalty of Jewish Americans um, when they support the Democratic Party, but he's used the word loyalty, he's inferring, and this is what's upsetting all the groups, inferring that... uh, you know, maybe Jewish people aren't loyal to America, and that has been a huge issue for years um, that is not appreciated at all by the Jewish community. So by him wading into this, Charlotte, he really has caused a considerable amount of backlash amongst the Jewish groups. And the statistics still show that uh, three out of, uh, you know, uh, three out of one or three out of four Uh, Jewish people identify themselves as voting with the Democrat Party anyway. So that was Bob Ney, reporter with Talk Media News. You have been listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. A special shout-out and thanks to our producer, Mark Maldi. And we will be talking with you all next week, Wednesday. See you then. From the kids to Aunt Sue. Keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed.